morning. Again, every week I stand up here and I start by saying good morning and welcome. And I want to welcome you here this morning, joining us online or here in the auditorium. But I want you to know that we really mean that. We understand that you've got a lot of options on a Sunday morning. You know, Dee mentioned it in her welcome that uh, it's tough getting out the door, especially if you have small kids getting here on time to worship. If you're here for the first or second or third time just kind of checking us out, that's a big deal. I get that. Going someplace that you, you don't know exactly how things work, that's, that's a big step. For those of you who are here all the time, what would we do without you? I'm glad we're all together this morning, able to worship. We are in a sermon series that I'm calling, I Have Someone in Mind, taking the things that we're talking about personally. We're trying to start the new year by not just talking about what life in the kingdom might look like, but actually doing some of those things, praying for other people that we have in mind, reaching out to someone, forgiving someone. This morning I have another challenge for you. It's actually not going to be reconciliation, but uh, I do have a challenge for you. But before I get there, I want to share with you a little dendrology lesson. Don't panic, it's the study of trees and shrubs. <laughs> How many of you have ever seen the, the redwoods in California? Wow, okay. I never have. I would love to. I've gotten close, but we've never actually been there. We've all seen pictures of these massive trees. And they're pretty impressive. They grow over 300 feet tall. They can live for literally thousands of years. There's all kinds of really interesting facts about the redwoods in California. But this morning, I want to start by sharing three quick facts about these impressive trees. First, they never stop growing. You know, when does a redwood reach maturity? Depends on how you define maturity, because they never stop growing. Second, and this seems a little strange to you, but they don't have a very deep root system. You would think a tree that size would have really deep roots. They don't. Their root system doesn't go down. It goes out. And it actually intertwines with other redwoods in the area. So in a real sense, those giant, massive trees are literally holding each other up. And then the third thing about these trees is they have a unique ability to help other trees around them. And it gets a little bit technical, but because of the root system and the way it's intertwined, if there is one tree that is damaged, if there's one tree that is struggling in some way, a healthy tree will actually divert its nutrients to that other tree. It's true. Google it. <laughs> Don't Google it right now, but trust me, it's true. And what I just described to you is exactly how Jesus set the church up to be, right? How us as Christians, always growing, intertwined in each other's lives, holding each other up, helping those who are struggling, helping those who are sick, The body of Christ, in a lot of ways, should resemble the redwood trees. And one of the main ways that we can do that, one of the main ways that we can pass on nutrients to each other, is what I want to talk to you about this morning. 
encouragement. I want you to get someone in mind that you can encourage. And this should be so easy. This is like the easiest lesson in this series because every person you know needs encouragement. And this idea of encouraging goes right along with our 242 focus. I mean, you can't encourage someone unless you're entwined in their life to a certain extent. Unless you're walking along with them. You need to encourage someone. You know, in a world that is increasingly separated and isolated, we want to be connected. We want to be more united with each other. And intellectually, we understand that we're stronger together than we are alone. But yet, we still try to do life alone pretty often. And I think that's one reason why there are so many one another passages in Scripture. In the New Testament, there's over 100 one another statements. We are commanded to love one another, accept one another, serve one another, forgive one another. We talked about that last week. Comfort one another. And the list goes on and on and on. There's even four verses that talk about kissing. We are commanded to greet one another with a holy kiss. Four times in Scripture, two different writers. However, be sure you check out the uh, context of those (laughs) passages as well as the cultural setting before you lean over to the person beside you and lay one on them. But this morning, I'm not going to talk about kissing. I'm going to talk about encouragement. Paul would instruct the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5. Therefore, encourage one another. Build each other up. Just as, in fact, you are doing. We're going to come back to that verse later on. We're going to, we're going to build some context around that verse. But let me ask you a question. People that know you, would they describe you as an encourager? Friends, family, people that you work with? Or people here in this church family? Would they describe you as an encourager? You know, there's a lot of names that come to mind for me when I think of people that I go to church with that are encouragers. There are a lot of encouragers in this family. This morning, I want to pretty quickly share with you three benefits of being an encourager. And the first is this. An encourager is a good ambassador for Jesus. There's a verse in the Old Testament that that speaks to this, and I think it actually hints to the the heart of Jesus. It's in the book of Proverbs, chapter 18. We're familiar with it. There are friends who pretend to be friends, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. One of the ways that Jesus encouraged people around him was he was just available to people around him. He was available to people not just when it was convenient to be available, but he was available just when he went about his life. Jesus never saw people as an interruption or as a burden. If we are going to be ambassadors for Jesus, we've got to come alongside people who are struggling, people who are hurting. You know, the word literally means to pour confidence into, to pour courage into. It is impossible to overstate the power of encouragement. I doubt that many of you will recognize the name Gene Nedich. 
Over 60 years ago, Jean Nedich was just a housewife living in New York City. She had always struggled with weight. And it finally got to the point in her life where she went to the New York City uh, Clinic for Obesity. And they put her on a very strict diet. But she couldn't stay on the diet. She didn't lose a bit of weight. And she got frustrated. In fact, she got depressed. And she vowed she would never go back to that clinic ever again. Instead, she invited six of her friends to her home one evening. Six other women who also struggled with their weight. And they just shared some of their struggles. And they talked about maybe some ideas or some strategies, some hints to to help them with those weight struggles. She lost 70 pounds because of that support group. And she decided if it worked for me, maybe it would work for other people as well. You didn't recognize the name Jean Nedich, but we all are familiar with Weight Watchers, the company that she founded. Today, there's almost 5 million people enrolled in Weight Watchers. How did this one woman convince people to take control of their lives? Whenever she was asked that question, she always told a story. She said, when I was a teenager, I used to walk through the same park every day. And I would see the same group of moms sitting and talking, and their toddlers were on swings waiting to be pushed. And I'd walk over, and I would push those toddlers on the swing. You know what happens after you push a toddler on a swing long enough? He starts pumping his arms and his legs himself. He learns how to swing. And she said, I just decided that my purpose in life was be to give other people a push. I wanted to be an encourager. I think that's what the Hebrew writer had in mind when he wrote in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Think of ways to encourage one another to outbursts of love and good deeds. Think of ways. Put your mind to it. Think of ways to encourage one another to outbursts of love and good deeds. We can do this. We are commanded to do this. Someone you know right now needs encouragement. And you might be thinking, well, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm just a guy. I'm just a woman. I'm, what difference can I make? There's an old Florida proverb that says, if you think you're too small to make a difference, spend the night with a mosquito. <laughs> now, we can all make a difference, Right? We can all let our presence be known. Think of ways to encourage one another to outbursts of love and good deeds. Isn't that Jesus? Here's a second benefit of being an encourager. When you encourage someone, you actually help make that person less vulnerable to sinning. That's a pretty big statement. That encouragement can help make someone less vulnerable to sin. But I'm going to stand behind that statement. And the reason I'm standing behind that statement is, I didn't make it. That's out of Scripture. Again, Hebrews chapter 3. But encourage one another once a week. Encourage one another on Sundays. Encourage one another daily. Every day. As long as it's called today. Why? So that none of you burdened by sin's deceitfulness. 
Your encouragement can help someone not to be burdened by sin's deceitfulness. And it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if discouragement causes us to sin, wouldn't encouragement help us to be emotionally and spiritually healthier? We all need to be encouragers. And guess what? We all need to be encouraged. You know, I said I can think of people in my church family who are great encouragers. They need encouragement too. Everybody needs to be encouraged. It's like the little boy who told his dad, let's play darts. I'll throw the darts. You stand beside me and say, good job. (laughs) All of us need someone standing beside us saying, you're doing a good job. Keep it up. It matters. It makes a difference. Makes a difference emotionally. Makes a difference spiritually. We are less susceptible to Satan's tactics when we are receiving encouragement from brothers and sisters. We need each other. Just like your physical body needs air and food and water, you need encouragement spiritually. When we get it, we thrive. When we're deprived of it, something inside us shrivels and dies. Mark Twain once said, I can live two months on one good compliment. It makes a difference. It matters. Discouragement is like a demolition project. Encouragement is like a construction project. Which do you want to be a part of? And then one more benefit of being an encourager. There's lots more, but I'm going to just share one more this morning. Encouragement can help someone finish the race. Your encouragement can help someone finish their race. Several times in Scripture, especially the Apostle Paul, likens the Christian life to a race. He does it in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, A little bit of context, the Thessalonians were under a tremendous amount of persecution. And in response to not just the physical pain, but also the emotional pain of watching friends and loved ones, brothers and sisters, be persecuted and killed, Paul turns attention to how can we hold each other up? And by the time he gets to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he's talking about end times. But I don't think he's talking about end times just to teach us about end times. He's also doing it to encourage those brothers and sisters who are being persecuted, who are watching their loved ones be persecuted. He knows their one another relationships are are lifelines in a sea of hurt and persecution. In fact, he tells them, I don't want you to grieve for those like those, uh, I want you to grieve like those who have no hope. You have hope. Then he says this in verse 16 of of chapter 4. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. He's talking about the second coming of Jesus. And he says, listen, make no mistake, Jesus is coming back. He's going to come back. And when he does, those that we love who have died, those who have died in Christ, they're going to be taken into the air. 
And those who still remain on the earth, those who belong to Jesus, they're going to meet Him in the air. And we're going to be together with the Lord forever. And then he says in the very next verse, therefore, since all that is true, since, since we have this hope, therefore, encourage each other with these words. Encourage each other with these words. Jesus is coming back. Some of you might be old enough to remember a man named Edgar Wisnant. In 1988, Edgar got quite a bit of press. He decided that he could prove biblically that Jesus was going to return sometime between September 11th and September 13th, 1988. Never mind that Jesus himself said no one knows the date. Edgar figured out the date. In fact, he wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. He sold four and a half million copies of that book. He had a tremendous following. He had a ton of believers. When Jesus didn't return... In September of 1988, Edgar said, well, that was my fault. I made, a pro- I made a mathematical error. And he decided that it was going to be in October of 1988 that Jesus would actually return. Now, I don't want to spoil this story for anyone. <laughs> but Jesus didn't return in September or October of 1988. I was living in Thanota Sassa in 1988. I think I would have noticed it. You know, we kind of laugh and we roll our eyes about people who set dates and make predictions. But I think maybe we're sometimes guilty of pushing that pendulum too far the other way. And we end up in the camp of, I'm not sure he's ever coming back. And we live our lives like we don't really believe that Jesus is ever going to keep the promise. That he's ever going to come back. First Thessalonians, Paul is encouraging these Christians with the hope of heaven. He's encouraging them with the return of Christ. When he returns, they'll be reunited with their loved ones. And then in the very next verse, he says this. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Then skip down to verse 4. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of light. Sons of the day, we not, do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. You have hope because of Jesus, so be ready for his return. And then he tells them, here's how you can spread that hope. Here's how you can spread this uh, nutrients to other followers of Jesus. Here's how you do it. And we're right back where we started in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11. Therefore, again, therefore, since all those things I just talked about are certain, since those promises that I just reminded you of are true, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. For the second time, in just a handful of verses... Paul points out the value and the importance of encouragement. You have hope. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. You are a prepared people. So in this season, this difficult 
dangerous season. Paul tells them, live for Jesus. Finish your race. He's coming back. All three of my children, when they were in middle school and high school, uh, participated in sports. And what that means is Martha and I spent a lot of nights sitting on bleachers. <laughs> Mostly in gymnasiums, watching basketball games. My, our, our kids were involved in, in a lot of different sports, golf and tennis and soccer, track. When our youngest son was in the sixth grade, Nate decided that he wanted to join the track team. I don't know exactly what hell is going to be like. But I've got a feeling there are going to be some, some elements of a middle school track meet <laughs> associated with hell. Amen. Amen. They go on forever, and they are pretty brutal. Nate was, uh, uh, was a high jumper, or a long jumper, and he ran the 400 meter. He couldn't jump very far. The good news is he was slow as well. But... The long jump was the very first thing at the middle school track meets. The 400 meter was the very last thing at a middle school track meet, which meant we had to be there at the very beginning, and we had to stay till the very end. And I don't know if you know how these things work, but once your child participates, you leave. No, you're free to go. So by the time the 400 meter rolled around, the only people left in the stands were the 15 parents of those eight kids that were getting ready to run. And we'd been there a long time. And the races were always the same. They'd line up, gun would go off, and they'd take off that direction, you know, away from the stands, away from the parents. And we're all sitting there watching them. They go into that first turn, and they get to the back stretch, and you're picking out your child. You know, you can tell what color they're wearing and, and you know, about where they are, you know, in, in relationship. Of course, they're pretty far away, so they can't hear anything, but you're watching them run. But when they went into that final turn, something always happened. All the parents, all 15 of us, we all stood up. Why? because they were in the home stretch. And every parent stood up and started screaming to their child, come on, you can do it. You're almost there. And I did too. And Nate was always closer to the back of the pack than the front. <laughs> but he didn't care. I didn't care. It didn't matter. I'd stand up and I'd scream, everything you got everything you got. And we'd all cheer till they crossed the finish line. You remember Stephen in Scripture, the first Christian martyr. Stephen very boldly preached the resurrection of Jesus. In one of those sermons, he so offended this crowd that they drug him out and stoned him to death. But before he was killed, while he was preaching, Stephen was allowed a glimpse into heaven. And he told his crowd what he saw. Look, he said, 
I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. It's quite a vision, isn't it? To be able to see heaven open and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. There are 16 times in the New Testament when we read about Jesus being at the right hand of God. This is the only time that Scripture says He's standing. Why? I don't know. But I would like to think that He's standing because He knows that in a few minutes Stephen's going to be drug out and stoned. And I would like to think that He was standing cheering Stephen on. You're in the home stretch. Finish your race. You know, sadly, I don't think it's getting easier to live a Christian life. I think our world, I think our country is getting more and more hostile towards Christianity. So we've got to stick together. We've got to be there for each other. We've got to pray for one another. We've got to reach out to the lost. We have to, to, to forgive people. We have to encourage one another. Because I think we're nearing the home stretch. And you might not see it. And you might not hear it. But I'm convinced that Jesus is standing. And he is yelling at you, everything you got. Everything you got. In light of that, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. The day is approaching. Get someone in your mind. Someone that today you're going to encourage. Father, we come to you this morning. We want to be intertwined with one another. We want to hold each other up. We want to be the body of Christ that rejoices with those who rejoice who mourn with those who mourn. Lord, we want to be a source of encouragement to others. And as we think friends and family members, brothers and sisters who need encouraged, would you use us to give to others what you have so richly given to us? It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and be standing while we sing.